This episode of Roadie Radio is brought to you by free outdoor Wi-Fi at your library. Park or sit outside at your local Ocean State Library and connect to the library parking lot network. No password or library card required. There is no time limit on outdoor Wi-Fi, so feel free to enjoy a beautiful day while getting work done, binging your favorite show, or playing online games. This project has been made possible with generous funding from the Rhode Island Take It Outside Initiative and the Rhode Island Foundation, with a generous donation of equipment from the Information Technology Disaster Resource Center and through partnerships with OCEAN, the Ocean State Higher Education Economic Development and Administrative Network, and your local public library. You're listening to Rhodey Radio, Rhode Island Library Radio Online. Hi, I'm your host, Lauren Walker, from the Rhodey Radio crew and Coventry Public Library. For the library, I recently planned a tour of a local Coventry cemetery guided by Charles Vaca and Maureen Buffy of the Patuxent Valley Preservation and Historical Society Cemetery Group. The tour was really interesting, and I thought I would bring it to all of you Rhodey Radio listeners as a podcast. Using information generously provided by the tour guides, I'm retracing our steps through Maple Root Cemetery in Coventry, Rhode Island to share with you all the fascinating history there interred. It's a perfect crisp fall day. In spite of the busy road beside it, the cemetery is beautiful and peaceful. Leaves cover the ground and crunch beneath my feet as I walk. The paths here have been more or less improvised by the PVPHS Cemetery Group, and there are still some uncovered stones and protruding tree roots, so I have to watch my step. Our tour guide let us know at the beginning of the tour that there are several sources of information regarding the cemetery. In particular, there is Vital Record of Rhode Island, 1636 to 1850, written by James Newell Arnold in 1905 and Coventry, Rhode Island Historical Cemeteries by John E. Sterling and Dr. Bill Edelman, both in our collection at Coventry Public Library. Although Maple Root may lack the grandeur of some other cemeteries with more notable individuals, it provides numerous examples of the earliest tombstone styles and symbols in Kent County. I'm crunching my way over to the cemetery's westernmost point, abutting Quidnick Reservoir, where we begin the tour. This is the starting point of an evolutionary trail of tombstone styles and symbolism, including field stones, which are simple stones, sometimes left natural and some roughly sculpted, but not carved with names, dates, symbols, or any information. These are simple grave markers influenced by the Puritan's avoidance of embellishment and emphasis on humility. These field stones make up approximately 320 of the 1100 burials here. The age of these field stones is uncertain, but most likely they do not predate King Philip's War, which is from 1675 to 1676. Unlike other local lots, Maple Root started as a common burial ground, similar to the one in Newport, Rhode Island, where anyone could be buried, particularly those who did not have family lots or anywhere else to go. Near these stones, we find Maple Root's oldest carved stone, that of John J. Green, born at East Greenwich, 1688, died 1756. Near John J. Green's crudely carved stone are those of Captain James Green, circa 1686 to 1771, whose stone depicts a winged skull sculpted by Jonathan Roberts, and his son, American Revolutionary Lieutenant Isaac Green, 1724 to 1796, with similar artistry. 
In this same area, we have the grave of George W. Fish, 1796 to 1816, with a rising or setting sun with what appears to be vines of ivy. The rising sun symbolizes new life, while a setting sun indicates the end of one's earthly existence. This is also a good example of a grave with a headstone and a footstone. We learned that, although it isn't really the practice anymore, headstones always used to face west. The body would be laid with the head toward the west and the feet toward the east, so that the body itself would face east. It was believed in Christianity that, as the sun rises in the east, the Son of God would also come from the east. It has also been said that, when facing east, the dead would be able to greet each new day. Unlike today, when we only have headstones, there used to be footstones as well, to mark both ends of the grave. Both stones would face outward, so the headstone, with the name of the deceased, as well as dates and any other inscriptions, would face west, and the footstone, often with only the initials of the deceased, would face east. GWF is inscribed on George Fish's footstone. The rise of secularism during the Federalist era, 1790 to 1820, resulted in the use of such tombstone imagery as urns and willows. Those symbols, which can be found throughout Maple Root, are closely related in depicting grief, the willow, over earthly remains, the urn. But the weeping willow further emphasizes nature's lament, mourning, and remembrance. Walking a little further, we have the stone marking Sarah Fisk Knight, 1835 to 1892, which is carved with a weeping willow and an urn. The sun shines on the gravestone, filtering through the trees that overlook the reservoir, and I think that there are worse ways to spend eternity than perched here with this view. Nearby, Olive Brayton, 1775 to 1800, is celebrated with flowers on her tombstone. Different flowers are used to symbolize different meanings. Laurel, signifying fame, victory, or triumph. Poppies, indicating eternal sleep. Ivy, immortality. Oak, symbolizing maturity or death at a ripe old age, power, and authority, and the rose, the brevity of earthly existence. Walking toward the center of the cemetery, we come to a cast iron gated fence, the only gated plot in this cemetery where the Cutting family is interred. Here we have an oddity for maple root, although it is more commonly seen in larger burial plots. Lucinda Cutting died in 1893, and her marker is a bluish-gray, metallic-white zinc or white bronze. It's metal. You can hear that it's hollow when I knock on it. These sandblasted monuments were produced only by one company, the Monumental Bronze Company of Bridgeport, Connecticut, from 1875 to 1912, exhibiting symbols of anchors, lambs, children, books, or, as depicted on this one, clusters of wheat. The monument is basically a template, and the panels could be customized with a symbol and the name and information of the deceased. The metal panel has raised lettering rather than engraved, and it screws onto the monument. During Prohibition, it's said that these panels would be unscrewed to hide liquor inside of the hollow monuments. Nearby are the brick-and-mortar tombs of the Scott family. Mary A. Andrews died 1921, Curtis R. 1848 to 1932, and their daughter Lula May, 1883 to 1924. 
There is only one other such tomb in Coventry, located at the Gibbs-Westcott lot, CY06. These above-ground graves are more common in places like New Orleans, where it's impossible to dig a grave without hitting water. Walking a little further toward the northern edge of the cemetery, we come to the gravestone and sad story of Calvin Rhodes Madison, 1846 to 1864. The son of Verbatus and Mary Green Madison, he enlisted in the 7th Rhode Island Regiment Company C at the age of 15 years, following the footsteps of brother James and half-brother Nicholas W. While James survived the Civil War, Nicholas was killed at the Union defeat at Fredericksburg on December 13, 1862. But Calvin, mustered out of service, re-enlisted in April 1864 with the 3rd Rhode Island Cavalry Troop G, which defended New Orleans. By December 10, 1864, Calvin was discharged from service on a surgeon's certificate and headed home on the steamship North America, which hit turbulent weather off the Florida coast and sank, sending about 140 of the 203 passengers to their deaths. Calvin Rhodes Madison was among 24 enlistees of the 3rd Rhode Island Cavalry who were lost at sea that day. This is not technically a headstone, as there is no body interred here, but a cenotaph in his memory. Just around the corner is the cenotaph of Nathaniel C. Green, 1841 to 1864, son of Lawton and Damaris Green of Warwick. He may have been related to the Revolutionary War General Nathaniel Green, whose homestead is here in Coventry, but it's not the same person. Nathaniel was a mule spinner when he enlisted with the 2nd Rhode Island Volunteer Infantry. In June 1863, following his discharge in February on a surgeon's certificate, Nathaniel enlisted with the U.S. Navy, assigned the lowest rank of landsmen. In April 1864, his ship, the USS Southfield, was sunk by rebel ram Albemarle off Plymouth, North Carolina. He was taken prisoner and sent to the notorious Andersonville Prison, or Camp Sumter, in Georgia. Nathaniel Green was among the 13,000 prisoners who met their demise here, having suffered from scorbutus, now called scurvy, caused from starvation. His maple root monument reads, Rest, loved and brave soldier, thy trials all past, sleep peacefully under the daisies at last. In the same family lot is located the burial of Martin Cornell, 1832 to 1864, son of Duty and Sarah Wicks Cornell of Summit. In April 1856, Cornell married Sybil Green, sister of Nathaniel Green, Following Sybil's death in 1857 from consumption, Martin married her sister, Clara or Clarissa Green. They raised a daughter, Minetta, who died within a year of birth, and son, Martin B., born 1862, who tragically drowned in 1873. The son is buried nearby with a small stone bearing the carving of a lamb, a sign of purity and gentleness. Martin served with the 7th Rhode Island Regiment, participating in the major battles of Antietam, Fredericksburg, and Siege at Vicksburg. He served under Union Commander U.S. Grant during the last year of the war before suffering a lethal head wound at the Battle of Spotsylvania Courthouse in May 1864, dying at an Annapolis, Maryland hospital. His monument at Maple Root displays a waving flag carved by notable local carver Orrin Spencer. This section is also the resting place of Elisha Green, 1814 to 1899, and neighbor of Martin Cornell. Elisha served as a musician with Company H of the 2nd Rhode Island Regiment. 
Musicians were used by the armies to beckon the soldiers to battle, using one fifer and one drummer per regiment. Elisha was 86 years old when he passed in 1899, which is impressive as the average life expectancy for a man at this time was about 46 years. A notable symbol of the Masonic Keystone Royal Arch symbol can be found on the monument of Charles H. Potter, 1848 to 1934. Born in Warwick or Coventry, Potter moved to Westerly by 1860, living with his father, George W., and working as a factory operative. Potter enlisted in the 1st Rhode Island Cavalry during April 1865 for a three-month stint. He later lived in Griswold, Connecticut with his second wife, Eliza Barrows, following the 1870 death of his first wife, Orminda. All three are buried at Maple Root, with Charles's stone bearing the keystone symbol, signifying the stone that holds together a stone arch. Further along in this section is found the small stone of Silas O'Haven, 1841 to 1887, who served in the U.S. Navy during the later stages of the Civil War. His stone is marked with that of the three chains of the Odd Fellows, a 19th century organization of general contractors. The three rings symbolize friendship, love, and truth. Perhaps the two saddest stories can be found walking back toward Harkney Hill Road. There is Miranda Fish, 1839 to 1840, whose stone displays a dove pecking at a rosebud surrounded by an upside-down heart. Obviously, Miranda's parents, Joshua and Dinah Fish, buried beside their daughter, were heartbroken by her early death. Although a cholera epidemic hit the region during the mid-1840s, it is uncertain the exact cause of the young girl's death. Birds symbolize the spirit in the afterlife and can be found on headstones elsewhere. More specifically, doves symbolize innocence, love, purity, and the Holy Spirit. Still more tragic is that of Patty J. Johnson, born April 5, 1864, daughter of Typhenia and Philip D. Johnson. When Patty, short for patience, was only 14 years old, she was married to 27-year-old Lauriston Batty. Two years later, she gave birth to daughter Alice Maud Batty. Alice only lived for five months before dying of infantile cholera. A few months later, Patty herself died at age 17. Her husband, Lauriston, apparently moved to Washington Village and started a new family before being buried in 1929 with his second family in Oakland Cemetery, CY69. A protruding rose, a sign of the completion and brevity of life, adorns Patty's monument, and her daughter, Alice's gravestone, stands just behind hers. With this sad tale, we conclude our tour of Maple Root Cemetery. Of course, any cemetery will have its share of sad stories, but we can at least take solace in the fact that this cemetery is a very peaceful place for these souls to rest, and the PVPHS Cemetery Group continues to work to preserve Maple Root and other cemeteries like it. The works used to research this tour are listed with the episode information. Thank you to Maureen Buffy of the PVPHS Cemetery Group, who has tirelessly researched many of these individuals and worked with numerous local residents in clearing the once much overgrown Maple Root Cemetery. Thank you also to Charles Vaca for providing me with his tour information so that I could share these stories with our listeners. If you want to find out more about the PVPHS Cemetery Group or would like to volunteer with the group to clean up and restore local historical cemeteries, visit facebook.com slash Patuxent Valley Historical Cemeteries, no spaces, 
That's facebook.com slash P-A-W-T-U-X-E-T Valley Historical Cemeteries. Rhodey Radio is proud to be a resident partner of the Rhode Island Center for the Book and brought to you by library staff and community members all around the Ocean State. You can find more from Rhodey Radio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you enjoyed today's episode, subscribe to Rhodey Radio and give us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to help us reach more Rhode Islanders.